0: Good morning ladies oh bright light it's wonderful to be here with you and before I do anything I want to thank you for supporting our work since 1999 um, this church, church has supported us for a long time and you are partners in our work which is so exciting and needed here in the city of San Francisco so as I got into my talk I sure didn't want to forget that word of thanks to each and every one of you for making the women we serve a priority. So thank you so much for that. You know, I love a good story, and I think if people were describing me, they would say that I'm a pretty good storyteller. So I wanna tell you the story that I had written for my life. And it was an exciting story, and it was a story I wanted to make sure was gonna happen. I had planned on going to college. That was my plan, which I did. I went to college and graduated from college. Naturally, I would get married, and, and he would be tall, dark, <laughs> handsome. Um, I envisioned him being a very, very exciting and demand, not demanding, but a, a person of real power, probably a, a very high executive. Who knows? Maybe he would have been you know, CEO for? Who knows? Bank of America, Wells Fargo, you know, Apple computers. So, and naturally, he would, uh, he would make a lot of money. So that would allow for me not to work. And I would have children. I would have two. Um, the first one I would have would be a boy. And he would be blonde, and he would have blue eyes. And he would have the cutest, cutest little chubby, chubby thighs. And I would put him in uh, little corduroy shorts, hound's tooth <laughs> to, to be exact. And he would have little patent, you know, little saddle shoes and, and little knee highs. And then I would love him and, and give him so much time and attention. And then when he went to kindergarten, I would have another child. <coughs> and that one would be a girl. And I would be the perfect, perfect stay-at-home mom. You know, wonderful meals all the time. I would be making Play-Doh. No, bot Play-Doh for my children. <laughs> much too hard. The homemade kind is much, much softer. I would be a Play-Doh mom, and I would go on all the field trips. And as my kids got older, I would give them so much love and time and attention that they would just love me so much and just respect me so much that they would just be obedient. And even as teenagers, never do anything that they weren't supposed to do. That was how I envisioned my life. There wouldn't be any tears, very few tears. And we would all live happy ever after. And oh, final thing, I would never be over a size 10. Okay, so don't laugh too hard on that one, ladies. Please, please. So that was my life. And for many, many, many years, I tried so hard to make that life become reality. Because after all, I was in control of my life and I was going to make it happen. And I found myself utterly miserable, exhausted, and angry most of the time. And as I was meeting with Laurel and Cheryl, and we were talking about what I was going to share, I remembered that years ago in one of my journals, I had drawn out a diagram of sort of how I felt my life was. And I I described to them that it was was a, a diagram that had all these plates that I had to be spinning. I was spinning all these plates in order to make my life be this perfect life that I had created for myself and envisioned. And so last night, I went back and I found my journal. And it is very much exactly like I remembered it. I wrote this almost over 20 years ago. No, no, almost 20 years ago. On April 22nd, 1991, I wrote this. I'll just read a little bit of it. I wrote, I just feel so shaky all the time. Is it PMS? Too much coffee? Am I going crazy? And then I, diagram my life and there I am right in the center and Around the center. I have all my plates that I have to spin. I have work I have and I'm working full-time. I have my husband. He's a plate I have to spin. I have friends. I have church got to spin the church plate. I have finances in my house, I'm in charge. I'm in charge of the finances just because my husband doesn't want a part of it and isn't good at it. So we divide it up that way. I have God. God, i got to spin that plate. He's a plate. I have exercise, because you know, remember, I'm trying to stay at a size 10. I have diet. I have family. These are all my plates I have to spin. And then I say here, I am trying desperately to keep all of these plates in the air. It works for a little while, but it seems when one falls, they all fall down. In this scenario, there is no mercy and grace because I don't have either for myself. I continually heap condemnation on me. That's direct quotes from 20 years ago. You know, and I honestly don't think that I am strange in the fact that I think a lot of people like control. I think a lot of us like to feel like we have control of our life. And not so much maybe that we think that God will mess our life up, but I think we like to have control because we possibly see ourselves as God in our life. And so I love the quote by um, Robert A. Freiling where he says, there's something deep within each one of us that makes us want to be the creator, not the created. And that's what wanting control will get you. It will get you to a place where you feel that you are God and you are the ones that needs to form and create and make things in your life and make things in your life happen. But, you know, it's exactly the opposite of what God's word tells us. God's word tells us that we are created in his image to desire him, to know him, to love him, and to allow our lives to reflect that. It says in Genesis 1:27, "So God created man in his own image, in the image of God He created him, male and female, he created them." You know And the fact of the matter is that we are the createds. Uh, God is not one of the plates to be spun. God is the plate spinner." Remember how in my di- diagram, I was in the middle spinning all the plates, one of which was God? I have finally realized, it's taken so many years, but I've realized that God is at the core. He is at the center. And if I allow him to be the creator and the ruler and the Lord of my life, the other plates spin so much so much easier. One of the verses that we memorized um, when, my, when my children were little is Psalm 103. Be, be sure that the Lord, he is God, it is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And how many of you have somewhat been raised on a farm? Anyone here? Okay, there's some farm, farm, farm blood here. I got farm blood in, my, in my, my veins. I mean, for those of us that grew up on a, on a farm, and I think for probably a lot of people, sheep are dumb and they just have to be led. <laughs> and the shepherd is the one that is going to lead them. And the Holy Spirit leads us. And if we allow him to lead, what happens? Our lives are transformed. And for me, that is such an exciting idea that the God of the universe who's made me, who knows me, can take my life and transform it into exactly what he wants it to be, what he created me to be, and he can use me you know, if, if you talk to a lot of people about me, they would say, Sherry's very, very bottom line. She's not soft and feely. Don't expect her to be very empathetic or caring and compassionate. I've, I think I've gotten much better over the years. And for a long time, I felt what a horrible way for me to be. Just everybody knows me as bottom line. Let's get to the bottom line. But, you know, that is how God created me. I am a bottom line person. Those things matter to me. And instead of seeing that as bad, I have really come to see that's who I am. That's how he made me. That's how I need to be, not that I shouldn't be compassionate or empathetic as well. But you understand what I'm saying? I think it's so good for us to be able to identify who we are, what are our strengths. And instead of comparing those to strengths someone else might have, say, this is how God made me. I delight in it, and I will be what he needs me to be in order to do the work that he's accomplished me to do. Well, how do we get transformed in, into his image? I think, you know, there's a lot of times that when we, when we come to a point where, yes, we know God, we, we've accepted Christ, we want to be saved, but it doesn't end there. It doesn't end <laughs> with being saved. The next step is being transformed, being that person that God wants you to be, that he's made you to be. And I think the best way I have found, I have found two, two ways that this works, that this has come about in my life. And I, they asked me to be very specific and very clear and straightforward today, and, and so I'm going to be that. St. Augustine says, Out of his bounty the Lord often grants not what we seek. Remember all those things I sought. So as to to bestow bestow something preferable. So in other words, we think we know what we need and what we want, but God gives us something so much better. So let me tell you um, what what God gave me, and let's compare it. Let's compare it to the ideal life that I had created for myself. Yes, I did have two children. Um, so that was, remember, I wanted my my two children and um, they were not five years, they were not five years apart. That didn't happen. Um, I want to tell you the story of how it happened. I had my little teddy, you know, the little chubby, chubby guy who's now 31, little chubby calves, doesn't have chubby calves anymore. Um, <laughs> And I was so thrilled with him. He was exactly what I wanted. When I was in third grade, I picked his name. I remember we had the cutest little boy on our neighborhood, and his his name was Teddy Graham. Isn't that a horrible name when you think of (laughs) Teddy Grahams? And then there's Teddy Ruxpin. And let me tell you, in elementary school, my son was not happy happy with his name. But I had my little Teddy, and he was a year old. And all of a sudden, I found myself pregnant. And I was absolutely furious at God. Because I was from a very, very large family. And I never, ever felt like I had enough attention. I never felt like I got enough time. I never felt like I got enough emotional attention. And that was my reason for wanting to have my kids, so my two, spaced so far apart. I wanted to really invest in them. And here I was, pregnant, and I was so, so mad. I can remember sitting on my bed and calling my roommate in college and saying, you know, I cannot believe God did this to me. You know, Now I'm going to have to do exactly to my kids what was done to me. And I remember thinking, wow, I just wish I could go and have an abortion. I just wish I could go and have, and I could have. It was 1981. I could have had an abortion. I knew it was out there, I knew it was available, I knew it was accessible, I knew my health insurance would have paid for it, but I knew it was wrong and I just, I just couldn't, couldn't do it. Um, it's amazing though how things can happen, God can bring circumstances that really change our heart. My husband and I were on our way to church um, one Sunday and it was one month away from when I was due and I remember saying to him, I can still see the intersection we're sitting at, and we had little, little Teddy in the back seat in his car seat, and I said, well, we have one month to get excited, we have one month to get excited about this, about this baby. We better do something, and I'm a planner too, Laurel. And I had been in denial for all those months, but it was now time to plan something. We gotta get ready here, we gotta do something. And we didn't have a month because we came home from church and went through the evening that Sunday night. And in the middle of the night, I went into labor. And we had a little girl that was born the next day at noon who only lived for three hours. My husband and I stood and watched her die. And God, during that time, changed my heart like nothing you've ever seen. She had been so unwanted, I can't tell you. But the minute I saw her, I wanted her and I loved her. And I like to, to know that as she was in that little, little, whatever they call it, incubator in the neonatal intensive care unit, and as she, we weren't even allowed to hold her because she was hooked up to so many things, she looked in my eyes, and what she saw was a mother that loved her and a mother that wanted her. And God changed my heart. And he told me from that moment on that he would make good out of it. And I thought, how How, would he, how will he make good out of this? What good could come out of this? But good has come out of it, and I, I will be sharing that with you. The other thing that God has used in my life um, in his sovereignty, um, not what I planned, um, but he has used it for good, is my boys are not the Christian leaders that I expected them to be. I mean, I literally expected them to be, you know, shining examples and bringing millions to Christ and (laughs) I'm sure I would have had a missionary and a pastor and, you know, but Sadly, my boys who were raised in a Christian home, and it's not uncommon today, 70% of kids that were raised in Christian homes are no longer in the church in their 20s. And sadly, that is my boys' story. Now, they're not ax murderers or, you know, they're not over at San Quentin. They're loving, they're respectful, they went to college, they're self-sufficient. They're wonderful boys. But the number one thing that I and my husband have desired for them, which is to be tools in God's hands and to not want to think of themselves first, but to think of how can they serve and how can their lives glorify God first. They're very, they're very, very far from that. Now, the story isn't over. And every day, naturally, I pray for them. And I trust that even in their rebellion and their wanderings, the Holy Spirit is guiding them. But you know the good that's come out of that? I have learned patience, and I have learned humility. And I am not naturally patient, or I am not naturally humble. (laughs) And through my prayers, and through my tears, and through my waiting, God has taught me humility. And God has taught me patience. I remember one morning, I was just pleading with him for my youngest son. And God said, read First Corinthians 13. I said, I'm not gonna read that. I hate that chapter. It's on Hallmarks, <laughs> it's on the Hallmarks cards. No, I'm not reading it. I'm not reading it. And he said, read it. And literally my mind would not move on to anything else. He just kept saying, Read it, read it. And I read it, and the first lines are, Do you know what are the first lines of that? Love is patient. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, I am patient with you. Why can you not be patient with them? Why can you not be patient with him? And so out of my life that I had created and the hopes that I had planned and the story that I had wanted to tell and all of my things that I was gonna control, many things didn't happen. But in that, God has changed me and transformed me much more into his likeness, which is where he wants me to be. And when, it, when at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, that is the most important thing in my life. Not that I have happy circumstances or I have boys to brag about or, or I'm the mother of a daughter. Because when you're a mother of just sons, there's, you've lost a lot, you know, you've lost a lot. Um, I would have loved to have raised a girl. I will never be the mother of a bride, the bride. You know, I will never be the mother that gets the first phone call when the babies, you know, when the babies are born. And you know what they say. What do they say? They say, a girl is a girl forever and a boy. How does that thing go? Does anyone know it? Right. There you go. That's it. (laughs) So, So, in God's sovereignty... For whatever reason, he has changed these circumstances and directed circumstances in my life. And it is what it is. And I have, by his grace, finally come to learn. Go along with the program, Sherry, because it's the best program there is. And I try not to beat on the window too much. Let me explain that. My husband always tells me I'm his GPS. Because as he drives, I navigate, and if he's going wrong, I just beat on the window. I have no control over the steering wheel, I beat on the window. <laughs> and you know, if people are in the car, they're thinking, what the heck is going on? But on the GPS, I'm beating on it means turn this way. I don't want to go that way, turn this way. So I try these days to not beat so much on the window as God, as, God directs, as God directs my life. Let me tell you the other thing that I have found, and this is, much, this is very recent that I have found, that really has had a huge influence on my life and a very much a, a transforming power in my life. And it's gonna probably surprise an, um, some of you, but it's liturgical prayer. It's prayers that are written. It's prayers that are old. It's prayers that people have prayed throughout the world over the centuries. And some of you are thinking, you mean rote prayers that mean nothing? They don't mean nothing to me as I pray them. But what they do is they f- provide a fixed point for me. So no matter what my mood, no matter what my scattered mind is doing, no matter what's going on, Those prayers that I pray every single morning and oftentimes throughout the day are my fixed point, are my point that reminds me that God will guide me today and these are the things I want to ask for from him. And the one we pray every morning, so my husband and I, every morning we eat steel-cut oats. Anyone, if you you want the best recipe for steel-cut oatmeal, I will give it to you. We eat it every morning. And every morning we pray, I pray, drive far off from me all wrong desires. Incline my heart to keep thy law, and guide my feet into the way of peace. That having done your will with cheerfulness while it is day, I will when night cometh rejoice. And as I'm saying, while I've done your will with cheerfulness, I reflect on everything that will happen that day and i think how good it will feel at the end of the day when i can as casting crowns says in one of their songs sign his name to the end of my day when i can sign done the me sherry plunkett the hands and feet of jesus christ when i can sign that to the end of every day think how good that's going to feel and I love this, I love this prayer because every day it means something different to me. And I wanna give you an example of how it works in my life. My brother and, and I and my sisters were, my brother is estranged from my sisters and I. I'm not gonna go into it, believe me, you don't want all, to know all the drama, just take it for what it is. <laughs> um, and it's hard to pray that prayer without having an impact your day, and your life, and what you think, and how you act. And so I pray the prayer every morning, and I was out walking, walking my dog, you know, a couple years ago. And as I thought about my day, I thought, today's my brother's birthday. And w- that thought of walking the path of peace, I thought, I need to do something today that could potentially bring peace into our relationship. And so I knew he wouldn't accept a phone call from me, but I called my mom, who I knew would be talking to him. I said, Mom, I just really want you to know, please tell Danny, happy birthday, and tell him I am praying for God's best for him. Now that is how that prayer is significant in my life. And I love it, it is a fixed, fixed point. The other prayer that I pray, which probably many of you are aware of is that Short little 12-word prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know, we go about the day doing all kinds of things that aren't pleasing to God. And, you know, we'll feel that little kind of sense of, ooh, that wasn't right. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have given that response. And it really helps me to just acknowledge that was a sin against God. And it helps me to remember, I am a sinner saved by grace. And instead of sloughing it off, that's no big deal. Acknowledge it. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I pray that prayer, so, I've wished fewer times, um, but I pray that prayer often throughout the day. Those prayers have been extremely significant in my life and many others. Um, And I love being able to have those those points. Because as we've been created in his image and we're transformed into his likeness, those are things that have really helped me become transformed. Not that I'm there. I'm on my way and every day um, I pray that I'm a little step closer in my likeness of Jesus. And why, why all this? Why is all this important? It's important because we have been called to be God reflectors. We need to be reflecting God in every moment of every day, in every one of the circumstances we're in. And that's how we do it, by becoming transformed in his image. We then can reflect him in all the areas and all the ways that we are going about our business throughout the day. And as we do that, we have the opportunity then to join him in the work that he is doing here on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I love, probably some of you have read many of books by John Ortberg, um, who's at Menlo Press, and I love his definition of what is the kingdom of God? What does that mean? The kingdom of God means God's effective will, God's desire becoming reality in this place and in this time. Heaven touches earth when God's will becomes reality. And we as individuals have so many opportunities to see that come about. And what exciting, exciting, exciting work that is to be building God's kingdom. And we can do that no matter where we've been assigned. I've been assigned a first resort, and I've been assigned in my family, and you've been assigned in your families, and you've been assigned in other places. Those are our assignments, and that's what we need to be. We need to be cre- a, not the creator, but c- the created. And we need to not just want to be saved, but transformed. And as we're transformed, we need to be a tool in God's hands, building his kingdom, Building his kingdom here on earth. Well, remember that promise God made me that I will make good of this? He has. He's kept his promise. And let me tell you how. It was probably six months that I, after Kirsten died, that I don't think we hardly left the house. And remember, at that point, I had an 18 month old, two year old. And literally, I never got dressed. I never went out. I barely was able to take care of him and my husband. And it was the deepest, deepest, deepest depression. And I remember I just kept asking God, what? you made me a promise that you would make good out of this. How are you going to do that? And as time went on, I never, ever forgot the promise. About a, about a year, two years after that, after Kirsten died, we had our third child little boy by the name of Timmy. So I have Teddy and I have Timmy. (laughs) And my husband is Tom. So I have my three T's that I absolutely adore. So I had my little Timmy. Timmy was four months old. Teddy was five years old. And Teddy was in kindergarten, and we were involved in a carpool. And the woman that was involved in the carpool with me invited me to this meeting one night. She said, Sherry, we're having this meeting and we're gonna start an organization um, that's gonna help women that are in unplanned pregnancies. It's an alternative for abortion. And would you like to come? And I, at that point, I could have cared less what the meeting was about. I had a five-year-old and a four-month-old and I was home all day. I was going to the meeting. <laughs> so I went to the meeting. And at that meeting, they told the statistics about abortion in the, in the Bay Area. And at that point, there was more abortions than live births in the Bay Area, if you can believe that. We are talking, we are talking mid-80s, at the height, height of abortion. They gave the stats, and they also showed a video on abortion. And I said to myself, when I left that meeting that night, I will do whatever. God wants me to do to help this ministry, because I am so thankful I didn't have an abortion. But yet I know that loss. The same loss that a woman that has had abortion has, a child that she never got to hold or raise or love, I know that loss. And from that moment on, I prayed, not God, do you want me involved in this ministry, but God, to what degree do you want me involved in this ministry? Now that was 26 years ago. So I would say the degree was pretty big. <laughs> I know that as I mentioned the word abortion, I want to be so sensitive to the fact that there are so many of you in this, in this sanctuary that have experienced the pain of abortion. You're probably thinking, how does she know? You know, I know because of the statistics. And statistics tell us one out of every two and a half women by age 45. Have had an abortion in the United States it's a lot of us in this room today and I want you to know that Jesus forgives all sin there's no sin that's too big for him to forgive and I know a lot of women that have had abortions that are Christians today feel that way that is not right he forgives every sin and he is merciful and he is gracious And First Resort is a ministry that wants to provide each and every woman and man that has had an abortion experience, and men can't have abortions naturally, but you know what I mean, they've pushed them, they've paid for them, whatever. We want to provide a a ministry for you so you can come to receive healing from Christ and to be free and to forgive yourself and to recognize you are a mother and you have a child in heaven, and you will be united someday with that child. This is a part of First Resort's work, and you might not know that because it's a very quiet, very confidential part of First Resort's work. I never even know who's involved in our post-abortion ministry unless they tell me. I never know. It is so quiet and confidential. And we do retreats. In fact, this weekend... Fifteen men and women are at a retreat center and doing a a post-abortion retreat. Together they will process, they will pray, they will go through the scriptures, they will do many things so that women can literally and men can lay that burden down and say, I am free of it. I have finally accepted forgiveness from Christ and forgiven myself. We do retreats, we do support groups, and we do one-on-one counseling. And with me today, I have one of our retreat leaders, post-abortion counselor. Tanya's in the back, and we have information for you. If this is a ministry that could benefit you, we want you to have it. It is our gift. And I know that nobody wants to talk you know, aloud about it, or some of you might feel comfortable, others might not. So just know that there's material at the table, and you can call one of those phone numbers or you know talk to Tanya or me we would love to offer you this this service and this this wonderful, wonderful ministry. So, God has used first resort in the life of the body of Christ in such an amazing way. You know, we're here in the Bay Area where there are 40,000 abortions a year, and the body of Christ says, you know, we're gonna reach out to every single woman who is in a situation, unplanned pregnancy, consider an abortion, and we are gonna provide care for her. We're gonna provide beautiful facilities for her to come. Our, our office here in um, San Francisco is at 450 Sutter, in a beautiful, beautiful office. We have It's licensed by the state. We have wonderful, caring nurses and counselors, and if you, if you come there, and I would love for you to come, we have a clipboard that gives you an idea of some tour dates to come and have a tour of our facility, see what we do there. I would love for you to see how beautiful it is. And that is where we greet women. Well, seven have an office in Oakland, and we have one in Redwood City. That is where we greet women, a lot of which have called that day. 50% of the women we see, we are able to give them appointments that day. And there are women that maybe just have questions and want more information and have never really considered that this is as big a decision as it is. And we're able to sit down with them and provide them that information. A lot of them are women that are being pressured by boyfriends, by husbands, by parents to abort their babies. And the Bible hates injustice. God hates injustice. And what is more unjust? then a woman has been given the wonderful gift of a child, somebody saying, you can't have that baby, you have to have an abortion, or maybe it's her circumstances of poverty or a lack of relationships or community. As the body of Christ, we can say, let us help you. Let us help you receive this gift that God has given to you. And it's such a wonderful, wonderful ministry. I hope many of you will will come and see and hear more of what we do the best way for me to tell you what we do is to show you a video and actually it's a very short video but three minutes one of our clients in San Francisco her name is Kia and she had a plan for her life have you heard that somewhere before (laughs) and she was going to do anything she possibly needed to do to keep her plan intact but Kia um, was a college student You saw her, absolutely darling. And she had just received an internship um, for an urban magazine in New York. She wanted that internship so bad. She had worked so hard to get it. And at the same time she heard news of her internship, she also um, found out she was pregnant. And all of a sudden, all of the things she had worked for and all of her hopes were totally messed up. And she felt like abortion was probably her only way to keep her life on track and to to reach the goals that she wanted. But yet she had a boyfriend who absolutely did not want to have an abortion. And so as she says in the video, it was just an unbelievable emotional mess. You know, I had this. I desire. I had these plans. He had his desires. He had his plans. Then we had our families and their thoughts, and she said it was absolutely an emotional mess. But as she met with Tanya, who's here today, she said, Tanya just helped to calm me down, and Tanya helped me identify what were the questions I needed to answer for myself. And once I was able to answer my own questions, I realized I I needed to have this baby. And I would continue my education at some point, and other opportunities would come along the way. But this was going to be the only opportunity and the only chance to have this, this baby. And it's a wonderful, wonderful story. And I think it shows you the significance and the timeliness of our work. We work with women at the point of decision. There's no more critical time. And the fabulous news, if we want to just go now to the pictures, and we could just jump over the video unless you guys can... Figure it out maybe in a few minutes or so. Let's just go to the pictures. The wonderful news is there's little Anaya. Is she not the cutest little thing ever? And Anaya was born in October of 2009, and Kia and Al were married in June of 2010. And they are doing well and loving that little girl. And there's a quote that I don't have down, but the quote is, the church can make life in the world work. And there it is. That is absolute evidence evidence of it. So that is the work that God has privileged me to lead. And do you see now the changes and the transformation that he had to bring into my life in order to allow me to have that awesome privilege and honor of leading this ministry. And that's what he wants to do in every one of our lives because for each one of us, he has work for us to do. He has lives that he wants us to touch. And we need to be in his likeness. We need to be God reflectors as we do that. And the process of transformation is not always easy, but wow, it is so totally exciting. I mean, what could be more fun than to feel like there's a God and he has a plan and I'm a part of it? I just can't imagine anything more fun. So let me just tell you that I want to just throw out a few ideas of ways that if you're interested you could possibly help the work of first resort. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, but I did see one for sure, pregnant woman here today. One of the things we need are pregnant women to come in for ultrasounds because we have two nurses that are in training. They've already done all their didactic training and training on the machine. They now just need to practice. And they need to each do 40 ultrasounds before they can work on their own. And so we just need to have pregnant women come in. If you already have prenatal care, you need a, a slip from your doctor. But if you could help in this way or you know somebody that's pregnant, seven weeks to 30 weeks, we will have information at the table and we will tell you how you can be helpful. That will be so helpful. One of these nurses is a volunteer. She's going to be giving us a day a week to come and work. That is gold for us because, you know, nurses... Even in a nonprofit, it's, you know we need to pay them decently. So to have a nurse that will volunteer a whole day and she's already taken the biggest part of the training, we need to get her up to speed. The other thing, possibly some of you would want to volunteer, <coughs> you would want to give of your time to learn how to counsel, to be a receptionist, maybe you're a nurse and you, could, and you could help with that. Possibly you could share some of your talent, maybe you're a marketing person or graphic arts, excuse me a minute. if you would like to share time or talent. The other thing we're gonna have at the, at the back um, table is gonna be um, a, a, ideas of when these tours are gonna to be. We would love to have you come and take one. <coughs> All right, I've had a cough, so now it's acting no. up. better be Jesus. <laughs> 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 All right. So, I had a pretty. I thought I had a pretty good story for my life. It didn't turn out. But I'm trusting that the story that God is creating in my life, and that He is creating in every one of your lives, is going to be so much better than we could have ever planned or imagined. And it is. It is my prayer that each one of us will desire to let Him be Creator. will be created. To let Him bring whatever circumstances into our lives that will transform us so that we can be Jesus, the hands and feet of Jesus, God reflectors for those in our community that need to know Christ's love. That is my prayer for each and every one of us. So let me end there. I have a few minutes, it looks like, you know, to ask some questions. Are there any questions or (coughs) any comments? I'm having a hard time seeing you guys. Maybe we could dim the lights just a little bit. So is your husband tall, dark, and handsome? Very good question. (laughs) Oh, that's such a wonderful question. My husband is Irish. (laughs) And he is (laughs) 5'7". And he is as cute as a button. Totally, totally bald and as cute (laughs) as a button. (coughs) And very buffed. And he is not a high-paid executive. (laughs) He was in law enforcement. And he is retired. And uh, very good question. But let me tell you something. God could not have picked a better husband for me. And I married him to change him. (laughs) And let me tell you, I'm the only thing that's changed. When we got married, I couldn't believe that he threw his underwear into the drawer. I said, what are you doing? He goes, putting my underwear away. I said, you just throw them in? I said, you don't fold them? And he said, why bother? Why fold them? Guess who now throws her underwear into the drawer? I cannot remember the last time I folded a pair of my underwear. So thank you. Thank you for that question. Right. Others? Any others? Yes. What are your thoughts on the anti-abortion tactics and just talk a little bit about that sort of movement? I'm glad you asked that question. Sherry, Sherry, Be- yes. Yes. She wanted to know what are my what are my thoughts on on the anti-abortion movement and some of their ta- tactics. I'm so glad you asked that question because I want to point out that First Resort is not politically involved in any way, and we're not involved in activism in any way. We're a service organization only. Um, I struggle. I struggle a lot with, with some tactics from within, our own, from within our own community. And I feel like there's, there's many better ways we could be serving women, And there's many better ways we could be reflecting God in our our community. And the unfortunate thing is, in any movement, everybody gets lumped together. And our philosophy at First Resort is that we are going to operate to the highest professional standards, the highest medical standards, and the highest standards that God would ask of us. We are not an organization that women come to and we're heavy-handed and push our agenda and give them faulty information and really crank up the pressure when they get in our counseling rooms. That is not us. And we believe that all the information we give needs to be medically accurate. We are there to help a woman look at her choices in light of who she is and what is going on in her life. And then we allow the information to stand on its own. We never tell her what to do. The Bible is very clear. Today, choose the God you will serve. We have choices. And we have such a strong faith that the one who created her and that the Holy Spirit is speaking to her heart and it is not telling her to have an abortion. We are confident of that. So as we come alongside her and offer correct information, the great tool of ultrasound so she can see as early as six weeks what's going on in her body, that God will use that and it will speak to her heart and it will impact her decision. And you know, the sad reality is, many of the women we work with go on and have abortions. We don't refer them for abortion, we absolutely don't perform abortions, That is their choice. And you could say, wow, so you're really, you know, unsuccessful, or what kind of a failure are you? No, oh no, no, we have not been a failure. We have been successful because we have reached out to her with love, with information, with help, with referrals, and with hope that there are people in her community that care about her. Every woman that says, I have to have an abortion, because I don't have a community that will support me, because I don't have resources. There's no way I could even have a car seat or a crib. Every one of those women women is offered what we call a shower of support. And it is a beautiful, beautiful baby shower hosted by local churches that come around her and love her and support her and literally provide for her just about everything she needs to welcome her baby into the world. And we have churches throughout the Bay Area that have ongoing relationships with these moms and meet with them and provide diapers for the first year of their baby's life. Um, so we are absolutely not political, not activists. I, I struggle. I struggle with much of what goes on out there. Um, but. We just try to focus on what we're doing and do a great job at it. And I really do believe that our work is so critical. Every one of those children created in the image of God, every one of those women have been given that gift. You know, do we really remember that every pregnancy, every child conceived is God's plan? It's not a mistake. We might consider it a mistake. Unplanned, it's not a mistake to him. It's not unplanned to him. That child is loved and that child has a purpose. And that's how we treat every woman that sits in front of us. She is loved and she has a purpose. And the one she's carrying is loved, and God has a purpose for that one as well. So, good question. Thank you. Mm-hmm. What was the process or experience like of you getting involved with public speaking and sharing your story? Um, oh, that's a good question. I guess I just had to do it. You know? I mean, number one. What was the process of me um, sharing my story and being involved in public speaking? Number one, um, I would recommend to everyone here, how many of you have taken the Gallup Strength Quest test? Any of you? Okay, I would really recommend you do it. I mean, communication is one of my top strengths. God created me that way, so I enjoy speaking, and hopefully, hopefully it's impactful. Um, and when you run a nonprofit, you just have to speak. I mean, you just, if you're gonna be the the executive director, CEO of a nonprofit, speaking is your number is speaking is probably your number one, your number one thing. If you're gonna if you're a leader, you have to be able to share the vision of of what you're doing. So it's just kind of a requirement. And I know a lot of people say that they would just absolutely die. I mean, my husband, he would die. <laughs> when he when we were first married, he gave his testimony. He had written out his testimony to get into the church that we were getting into, and we went out to dinner beforehand, and he was practicing it. I accidentally spilled water on it, and he had written it in a felt pen. It was just a massive blur, and he that was, was going to read his testimony when he got up to share it, and there was nothing left. Fortunately, they accepted him into the church. But, yeah, I, hope, I don't know if that's helpful, but there, hopefully... It's natural for you. Yeah. But there are, you know, there's training programs, you know, that you know can help you learn to overcome your fear and you know and speak. Other questions? Can I make a statement? Yes. My name is Jennifer Ian. Yes, Jennifer. You're very welcome. And, and se- send your little boy up. Can you bring him up so you can see? So there he is. There's a little first roof. Whoa! And see, and, and, yeah, let's. Let's clap. Are you? <laughs> See, and, and let me just say, you know, abortion might not have been an option for Jennifer, but imagine if she had been in. We won't go into the situation she was in. You know, that's that's another story. You can tell that whenever you want to tell it. But, you know, someone like like her in her situation could have so easily been walked down the path of abortion, and so. That's why, you know, we are so, our arms are so open to women who are pregnant, and even if they're not thinking about having a baby, we an abortion, we're very mindful of the fact that in this community, in this day, unplanned pregnancies, and especially if you have any complications in your situation, well, you should just have an abortion, and before you know it, you're on the table, and it's done. So what a wonderful story, and I'm glad she's here at this church, and see, our, our, our ministry can, you know, it definitely blesses women in the church as well. You know, um, sadly, there's so many women in the church that have abortions, because if you're, single and you're out, if you're single and you're out there, and you're sexually involved, you probably don't want your church family to know. So what's going to happen when you get pregnant? So um, that's why we have the brochures in the bathroom. Have you all seen them? Yeah. They're there, so now you know who we are and what we're doing. And every time you see that brochure, pray for us. And pray for women in this city, that more and more of them. How many of you have seen our billboards? Yep. They're all, pretty much all over the city, and we've been on the, on the freeway as well. OK, other questions, and then we need to end. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. Any last question? Yes. The morning prayer? It's not by anyone, but I would, I'll be happy to, could I email it to you guys? And then could you get it out? Yeah, it's a morning, it's a morning prayer. And in, in, it's the book of common prayer. And so it's in there. Um, I love that prayer. I love that. I love, and it's, it's interesting because my sister's with us about one week out of the month and she, you know, never would pray anything like that. But, you know, She's even memorized it just from being there, you know, the days that she has. And it, ha- it, it has to impact your day. It just impacts your day. Thank you so much. Um, this was really fun. Thank you for supporting my work. I hope, I hope many of you will want to get to know us more and will want to come down and see what's happening at First Resort. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Um, Thank you for for being the one who provides such a model for us thank you that we can be transformed through the Holy Spirit and father may we desire to be transformed may you bring opportunities into our life um, that will allow us to be changed and to become Christ-like May that be our number one priority. And we pray, Father, that you would be merciful and gracious to every woman in this um, audience that's had an abortion. Lord, give them courage to um, step out and receive the wonderful gift of our post-abortion ministry. Give them the courage for that. And I pray, God, that in the days and months and years ahead, great fruit would come out of... Um, what we all have experienced and shared this morning. Thank you for creating us as women. And thank you for allowing us um, to have hearts and minds that love you and desire to serve you. I pray, Father, that you would bless each one of us in the coming day, that you would drive far off from us all wrong desires, that you would incline our hearts to keep thy law, and you would guide our feet into the way of peace. And God, having done your will with cheerfulness, well is day. We pray, God, that at night we would rejoice to give you thanks. Thank you, Lord. Amen.